a pretty big birthday week this past week. Maybe many of you celebrated Hobbit Day, <laughs> September 22nd. Do you guys know about this? Birthday of Bilbo Baggins and Frodo Baggins? Well, if you don't know about that, that is okay. But today we're talking about hidden wholeness and um, four things, three things in our map together today. One, hobbits, 4,000 weeks, and by dirt. That's where we're going. All right, let's begin with hobbits. You know, one of my favorite fantasy created worlds is J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and all the world that he created. I mean, you know that it includes languages, maps, so many characters and stories. And in the Cimmerillion, he wrote kind of this background to it all. And even at the beginning of the Cimmerillion is this like creation story, much like Genesis, where we get a little background. And J.R. Tolkien used this fantasy genre to explore some of the issues he faced in reality, going through World War I and World War II, and explore those themes of good and evil, and mortality, and friendship, and commitment. He got to explore those in this genre, in this alternate world. Well, to begin, let me read just the first paragraph from the Cimmerillion. It says, There was Eru, the one, who in Arda is called Iluvatar, and he made first the Anur, the holy ones, that were the offspring of his thought. And they were with him before aught else was made. And he spoke to them, propounding to them themes of music. And they sang before him, and he was glad. But for a long while, they sang each alone, or but a few together, while the rest hearkened. For each comprehended only that part of the mind of Iluvatar from which he came. And in the understanding of their brethren, they grew but slowly. Yet, ever as they listened, they came to a deeper understanding and increased in unison and harmony. And you may notice we have the band playing in unison and harmony, bringing to life this passage from J.R. Tolkien. It's as if Iluvatar gave each one of them their theme to play, their contribution, their part. And it sounds so good to them and to the enjoyment of Iluvatar. Well, you may know that this story goes on, and in the story there's one newer named Melkor who sought to increase his own power and glory. And so he started to weave in some of his own themes into the music. And as a result, it created discord and disharmony in the hearts of the others. And they just gave up and felt disheartened. Some of them just quit altogether. Others joined Melkor in his new theme. And others remained faithful and true to the theme that Iluvatar gave. Whew. 
mighty Mike Abbott. Oh, I hope you got the idea that they were all given their theme to play and to make music. This was the voice of Aluvatar through them. But then one could not handle it and had to do his own thing. And it created this disharmony. And it disheartened the others. And did you see the responses that some, some just quit? They're like, done. They didn't sing ever again. And others, in the disheartened, but then they thought, oh, we're going to join this guy. And they went that way. And others stayed faithful to the theme that was given to them by Aluvatar and continued to play faithfully. Well, I love how this is a picture of wholeness being broken. And maybe you can relate to in your own life wholeness being broken as you are pulled off in other directions. And the unity ended, as J.R. Tolkien writes, in a sea of turbulent sound. Ah, well, thank you, band, for that. And I love how this scene is a, is a picture of our scripture passage for this morning that Rachel just read from 2 Corinthians 4. Because Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. God had given Paul his ministry. God had given him his theme. And now he was to bring that into the world. And God gave Paul this specific ministry of being his messenger for the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and is now in heaven. And creating this new civilization here on earth of people who are followers of Christ. So he has that theme to live out. You can imagine him being one of the musicians playing his song to the glory of God. But Paul goes on and says, since God gave me this ministry, we do not lose heart. Which is interesting. If God gave you this ministry, this theme, this thing to do, how do you lose heart? And Paul is saying, it's easy. It's easy to lose heart. And I'm hanging on to this fact that God gave me this. That is the one thing I'm holding on to because it's easy to lose heart. There's people attacking Paul. As you heard in the passage, it said people are coming after him saying, hey, this guy is, is using the word of God wrongly. This guy is using secret ways. He's doing it bad. Paul had to know his theme and stick to it, even when others were saying something contrary around him. You know, it's probably also real for Paul, the internal opposition to continue. For Paul to think, well, am I doing it right? Th things sure seem to be going wrong if I'm measuring my success by getting beaten up all the time. That's not, that's not good evidence that this is the right thing to do. So there's an internal pressure as well in Paul. Do I continue? Do I go on? Am I doing the right thing? Well, we've been using music here to visualize how losing heart can happen. But in this passage, Paul uses the metaphor of light and darkness. 
you know, that his mission is to bring God's light into the darkness, to help people see God, to help see people see God in this world and to move toward him. But the darkness resists. There's resistance to the light. Verse 4, Paul writes this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded the minds. So who is this God of this age? What is this? And it doesn't seem like Paul's referring specifically to Satan or to the evil one. But instead, he's referring to something maybe bigger, saying that the God of this age is anything that people are worshiping that's not God. Anything that is being worshipped that blinds them from seeing God's true light. You know, it's not just one thing, but it can be anything. It could be power. It could be wisdom. It could be wealth. It could be anything that people worship and put their minds to and go toward that pulls them away from God. And in this way, Satan uses all these things to distract people to not pay attention to God's way, to not be able to see God's light. So if you were one of the people in the story this morning playing your theme, one, what, what is your theme that God has given you to play? You know, where has God placed you right now in life to do these things and this job? What people has he put you in that you have responsibility to? And God saying, this is your theme. Do these things. Maybe it's a season of life that you're in right now and it's new. Or maybe you're at the end of a season of life and it's changing. But what is the theme God has given you? And what is the distracting other stuff? that makes you lose heart? You know, is there something that makes you easily say, ah, I give it up? Or is there something that when you bump into that, you're like, that doesn't bother me at all. I'm going to stay true. But what are the things that pull you away from God? What are the things that encourage you toward God to know your theme and to live it? On to 4,000 weeks. Perhaps you read Oliver Berkman's new book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And the title really says it all. You probably don't need to read the book. 4,000 weeks is simply perspective. Perspective that life is short. And when you come to be 80 years old, if you calculate it, you can do the math on your own, it's 4,120 weeks when you're 80 years old. And when you do your self-calculation and you find out you've already lived 2,437 of those weeks, it feels even shorter to have only 4,000 weeks of life. But that's perspective. So time management for mortals. Mortals, again, it's perspective. We are mortal. We are limited. And we live in this world (laughs) 
that's pulling us in all kinds of different directions. So when I found this book, I thought this is amazing because in our consideration of wholeness, we have to ask ourselves every day, am I being pulled toward wholeness in this activity or this thing? Or am I being pulled to disintegration and separation? So if we go back to the idea of the gods of this age, it would seem that one of the gods or many of the gods of this age are success, efficiency, productivity. <laughs> those are things that we value and perhaps we can even worship. And in worshiping those things, it pulls us away from the theme that God wants us to be about. So, Berkman points out that most books on time management are giving you little tips. Tips how to manage your schedule, your day, so that you can get the most done. Tips to get your email to zero. But what he says is that this is a efficiency trap. You can just self-manage your life so well that you get all that stuff done but you know what the result is? You know what the trap is? All you do is create more. You just create more work for yourself. Now you just have more time to do more of that same stuff. And his suggestion is that we need some perspective on our time management. Because if you think about your email, nobody says this. I don't know if this is true. How many emails can your email box receive? Infinite? Is there a limit? No. Doesn't seem like it. You can always get more. So if you get it to zero, there's just going to be more space to come in. Or there's a nearly infinite amount of exotic travel destinations to go to and to visit. And you can just constantly think about all those opportunities. Or business ideas. There's an infinite number of business ideas to launch and to go do. So we live in this world of infinite number of inputs. You can always get more, another idea, something new. It's just going to keep filling in. The inputs are going to keep coming at you. But you only have 4,000 weeks to do all those things. There's a mismatch between the infinite inputs and our limited capacities. So in our band illustration just a moment ago, <laughs> Mike did an artistic choice of song to represent Melkor. But I think there could be another option we could have chose today, that Melkor invented advertising jingles. And just think about how disheartening advertising jingles are, and how it just makes you want to give up. And yet they get in your head and you just can't get them out. They just stick there. So Melkor invents these advertising jingles in contrast to the beautiful themes of music that was given to them. So Melkor starts singing these jingles in a catchy kind of way. You can do more faster. Or buy this toothpaste and your teeth will be whiter and people will like you better. Or if you're sad, buy this car and drive it around. I have a problem with that one. All these advertising jingles are examples, not of things that are immoral or bad, but they're things that if we begin to worship them, 
They can take our attention away from the theme God has given us. I mean, there's nothing wrong with efficiency and productivity and clean white teeth. But when we put that at the top and we only focus on that, we miss out on the theme of God that's around us. We want a whole life and not to be divided and separated and pulled in many directions. So in contrast to the unlimited number of inputs that we have available to us in life, the endless options to choose from, we read Psalm 139, that God knows all of your days before any one of them happen. Here's Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. What a reminder this psalm is to us. Yes, we are limited. Yes, we are mortal. But God knows that. God knows the number of days we will have. God knows what will happen in our days. And God is very happy about our days. We might feel this great discomfort of all these things that I don't get to do, the infinite inputs that will never happen. But God is looking at us, saying, you are doing all that I wanted, all that I laid out for you to do. You are doing the good things that I have prepared for you to do. So we put that in contrast to the competition of all the other advertising jingles, all the other songs that draw us away from knowing that God loves us and is pleased with us right where we're at. Well, finally, we come to buy dirt. You may wonder, what in the world is that? And if you have not heard the song, Buy Dirt, by Jordan Davis and Luke Bryan, if the band can get back together, the band will do that song at communion. But this song is a song about uh, a young guy going to his 80-year-old grandfather, and grandpa says, you know, what are you doing? He's like, I'm chasing the dollar. And then grandpa says, let me give you some life advice from somebody who's lived their 4,000 weeks. And grandpa lays out this advice of life. Now, I heard this song driving around in Wisconsin, where you hear country songs. And what caught my attention from all the uh, just background noise was when it says the part of the advice is, when the plate goes around church, put a little money in. And I thought, that's great. They could have said put a lot of money in, but at least they mentioned, at least they mentioned. But once my actually was listening to the words, then the hook of the song, which is you can't buy happiness, but you can buy dirt. And that caught my attention. I thought, what in the world is buy dirt? Yes, everybody knows you can't buy happiness, even though the advertising commercials try to tell you you can. But everybody knows that. But what does this mean to buy dirt? 
and as you listen to the song and some of the grandpa's, you know, kind of American dream advice of life, you know, get married, have kids, plant a garden, you know, those kinds of things, which are great, but I think there's more to what buy dirt means in this song. And to buy dirt is to be committed, to make commitments and follow through. I mean, you think about buying dirt. When you buy some dirt, and that's where you're going to live, and that's your home, you are putting yourself here. And by putting yourself here, no longer are you over there, or over there, or over there, and no longer, hopefully, are you thinking about being over there, and over there, and over there. You are here, because you buy dirt and put yourself there. Same thing with relationships. That when you say to some friend, friend, I'm going to hang out with you. You essentially say, six billion other people in the world, no, I'm not hanging out with you right now. Because I'm hanging out with this friend. And you're committing and you're following through. And that is the foundation of life. That you have to say no to some of the inputs. And by making a commitment, you are putting a limit of the inputs coming in at you. So that song we will listen to in a moment. And you can begin thinking about, what am I committing to? We're coming out of this crazy world where things have been undone, but what are we coming back to? Saying yes, and then following through, doing those things. Something to listen to. Wholeness. Wholeness is knowing the theme God has given you and then committing to it and following through until the end. I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't change along the way or God might not grow you in some way or add something that you can't even imagine in the future. But it means that we live here today, committing to the things that are in front of us, the people that are around us, and being the person God made us to be. So Paul said, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And I hope for all of us this morning that we do not lose heart. Oh, it is easy to lose heart. Maybe from inside of you, you do not want to do what God has put in front of you. Or maybe from the externals, people are putting pressure on you or commercial jingling you. But we do not lose heart because we remind ourselves that God knows us, loves us, knows the days of our lives, and is with us in grace all those ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for music. Thank you for the just amazing thing that you do in bringing us together in unity and harmony. And I pray that we would be in unity and harmony with you, and we'd be encouraging each other to find that harmony and live in it as well. God, give us your grace to live this life, the days that you have ordained for us, that we would know you, love you, and love our neighbor all along the way. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.